ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with. If you're new to Victory, we believe in taking notes. We believe that as we study God's word, uh, that some of it will come alive. All of it, honestly, will come alive to you. The Bible calls that revelation, that it'll change some things in your life. It's important to take notes when that happens. It's important to jot some things down so you can reference that on your spiritual journey as you continue. I would say it's even more important on days like today, because after we go outside and stuff our faces and go into a catatonic sleep for the rest of the day, you will forget everything. And so I would encourage you to write some things down as God points those things out. We're continuing a series today that we're calling More Than Conquerors. It comes out of a verse in Romans chapter 8. I'll show it to you. In Romans 8, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, Christ Jesus, who loved us. That we are more than conquerors. And I hope you hear the message of this series. The under bedrock idea of the series is that the Christian life is not just kind of white knuckling it through life, kind of saying yes to God and no to sin, just enough that we escape the fires of hell and make it to heaven by the skin of our teeth. I hope you hear that that's not the Christian life, that we just kind of show up like, you know, it was a little dicey there, but, you know, whew, we made it. Like we finally, we're, we're here, all right? That's not what the Christian life is. No, it says we are more than conquerors, that you are more than overcomers through Christ Jesus who loved us. That that's what the life is. And I pray that you find the victorious life that we're supposed to live in Christ. That you don't spend your entire life thinking we just hold on till Jesus comes. Just hold, it's just miserable, miserable. No, it says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's a big deal, everybody. That Christ Jesus loves us. In order to do that, in order to be more than conquerors, we have to overcome some things in our life that would hold us back. We got to conquer some things. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. So week one, last week, we talked about conquering fear. That fear is one of those things that I think in the last few years especially, but honestly all throughout human history, has had this tendency to build up, mount up, and creep into our culture. And so week one, we talked about conquering fear in our lives, what that looks like biblically to conquer the fear that we, honestly, a lot of us encounter uh, in our day-to-day lives. So you can jump online and grab that one. Next week, in week three, we're going to talk about conquering idols. That honestly, it probably is not what you would think it is. I'm excited about that in week number three, conquering idols. Today, I want to talk to you about conquering labels, conquering labels, because I think labels are one of the most destructive things that rises in our culture, rises in our lives, honestly rises even in the church. As so many of us have been labeled, whether it was as a child or as an adult, and whether it affects you subconsciously or consciously, Labels are one of the greatest tools the enemy can use to hold you back from what God has for your life. The labels that other people have given you. Now, there are very popular labels that I think everybody in church would know. So help me out this morning, all right, if you know them. There are very popular labels in our world and culture today, like Attila the... Come on, help me out today, everybody. You guys are a little sleepy as we go, all right? The next one, right? Nobody... Conan the... There we go. All right, we watch a little TV in this place. Come on, Billy the... Okay, I got about 70% participant. I hope they're doing better online. I hope they're helping me out. All right, Yogi the... There we go. All right, Winnie the... There we go. I bet my son and Liam five bucks that I could get grown adults to say poo in church, everybody. (laughs) And so I appreciate all of you. (laughs) Yes, I am 12 years old, but I don't care. All right, it is... (laughs) Anyway, no matter what... What the label is, all of us have time to time struggled with labels. If you've ever had one placed on you, if you've ever had a label set about you, we have struggled with those. And I don't know what label you carry today, but chances are the devil has come to mark you with something to try to keep you back from what God has for your life. What God would speak over you. He allows the people around you. The devil tries to use those labels to hold us back. 
tries to use those. Maybe it was from a parent or from a coach, or maybe it was from a pastor or a teacher, or maybe it came from a friend. And honestly, those labels, oftentimes they hurt in the moment, but there are long-term effects when those labels are placed on people that hold you back from what God has. Because maybe you were called the liar, or maybe you were just the addict of the family. Or maybe you had a temper problem and so you got labeled as hot-headed. Or maybe you were the party girl. Or maybe the people would say those. Or maybe somebody just called you average. Whatever it was, the enemy tries to use those labels to hold us back. Tries to use those to mark us and to keep us from the lives God has called us to be. And today we're going to talk about how we can break those labels off once and for all. What the Bible has to say about the labels that try to come and place themselves on our life. How we can break those things off. When God wanted to set about his rescue plan for humanity. When God wanted to set about his plan and his thing. He had to pick a family to which his son would come through. And so we know that now as the nation of Israel. I want to talk a little bit about how that came to be today. Because if you're new to the Bible, you'll read this as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he might not mean a lot to you. It might just sound like something, just kind of churchese that we say, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this was an actual family, an actual three generations that all struggled with the same promise or the same problem that we'll notice in just a moment. We're going to study that in just a moment. Three generations that all kind of struggled with the same thing. So God comes to Abraham and he gives him the promise of being the father of many nations. And so Abraham receives this promise and then he births Isaac and then Isaac births Jacob. And Jacob is who we're going to kind of focus on today. But I want to look at all of the generations leading to him because I want to show you a couple of problems that span across all three. And how labels can destroy our lives when they're placed on us. And so we'll start in the middle with Isaac. And so Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, are pregnant with their children. And so Rebecca has something going on in her stomach. She doesn't understand what's going on. And so she prays and asks God, what's going on in my stomach? They didn't have ultrasounds back then. And so God answers and says, you're going to give birth to twins. And he actually gives a prophecy at that moment and says, you're going to give birth to rival nations. That's what you have inside of you. That's why it's kind of a war in your stomach. And then it's this curious prophecy. He says that the older will serve the younger. That when you give birth to the two sons, the older is going to serve the younger. And that's very uncommon in that culture. Because in the culture of that day, the older son would receive the blessing and receive the power of the family, transfer all of the wealth and the assets of the family, kind of be the patriarch of the next one over. And so this prophecy comes... That the, young, the older would serve the younger. The younger would rule over him. All the younger siblings say amen today. Come on, somebody, where you at? That the younger would actually rule over the family that he would take. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 25. And the time comes for Rebecca to give birth. And there were twin boys in her room. And the first to come out was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment. And so they named him Esau. Let's just take a time out right there. Because let me tell you something else about the culture. Again, in the culture of the day, they didn't do like we do today and get on Google, right, and find the most popular names for babies and try to figure that out. And then we stress about it for months, right, and we try to pick just the right name that sounds just the right way. Or if you don't find out the sex of the baby, you have a boy name and a girl name, right? And you are, when that baby comes, you come guns a-blazing. You are ready, right, to name that thing. Six months ago, we knew what the name of that child was. Well, that didn't happen in this culture. The only time something like that would happen, it actually made it really unique, is God or an angel would appear and say, this will be the name of the child. That's the only time they would name it ahead of time. Otherwise, they would have that child and then they would name it for the circumstances of the birth or for a promise of God that the parents were believing for that child. 
or they name it for what was happening around them. And so Isaac and Rebecca, in my opinion, were pretty lazy in the naming of their children. You'll see in just a moment. And so instead of naming their first son, instead of naming him for like this great potential on his life or naming him for like the promise of God or the generational promise or all these things that they could have, they named him Esau, which literally translated into English means hairy. Come on, somebody like this is this comes out with like a full just covered in hair, has a beard. This is a man child, right? That comes out like this, like a carpet on his back. He's just got hair all over. And so they named him Harry. Like they looked at him and were like, well, that's lazy if you ask me. All right. They just said Harry named him. And then after him, his brother comes watching the next verse. His brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. And so they named him Jacob, which literally means heel grasper. What's going on with these parents? That is just lazy heel grabber is what they did. That's just what they called him. Now, listen to me. This is not some sermon assault on you if your name is Jacob, all right? That's not what this morning. Another derivation of the name means God will protect. And so if your parents named you Jacob, it probably is for that version of the name. But not Isaac and Rebecca. all right? They were lazy in their name. They called him heel grabber. And another name that they would have called, another thing that this would have meant to them was the word supplanter. And so that's the idea. It's not a word we use a lot in our culture today. It means somebody who's going to take the place of somebody else. And so it's that prophecy, again, of taking somebody's place. So this is the label Jacob is born with, the heel grabber, one who's always grabbing the one in front of him, the supplanter, the one who's going to take somebody else's place, has no place of his own. This is the label Jacob is born into. This is the prophecy on his life. This is his whole persona. And again, when we get these labels in our life, they have a way of developing strongholds in our lives. When these labels come in, so Jacob and Esau receive these labels from their parents. And I'm going to look at what happens to them because jot it down if you're taking notes. First thing I want you to know today is our labels, first of all, affect your identity. Labels affect your identity. When these labels, whether I said subconsciously or consciously, when these labels are placed on us, oftentimes they develop a stronghold in our lives. What happened to both Esau and Jacob? Because as we read a little further in the story, Esau fulfills this man-child name that he's been given. He becomes, watch this, a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. So he's like the original Grizzly Adams, all right? He's out there making shopping malls out of toothpicks. This is, this is right, the man's man. Esau's out in the country. He's shooting wild game. He's doing all the things that are expected of him. But Jacob, not so much. Watch with Jacob, right? He was a quiet man and content to stay at home among the tents. And that doesn't mean a lot to us unless, again, you understand the culture. Unless you understand the culture of the day. Because, right, in this culture, men were the hunters and the gatherers and the farmers and the, the shepherds. Men were out doing things in the fields. They weren't hanging so much out among the tents. And yet this is where Jacob finds himself. Jacob decides, I'm not going out with the rest. So he finds himself disconnected from the other men in this community. He's staying where the women and children are in the tents. And Jacob's kind of hanging. He's withdrawn from the other men, withdrawn from society, just kind of hanging out at home, right? And as we'll see in just a moment, he is living in mom's basement. That is what Jacob is doing in his life. He's just kind of hanging out. And here's why. Watch this in the next verse. It said, Isaac, this is the father. Isaac had a taste for wild game. And so he loved Esau, but not so much Jacob. So Isaac has this taste for wild game. He loved Esau, not so much Jacob. But it says Rebecca was the one who loved Jacob. Now, look, there is nothing wrong with the love of a mother. That is fantastic. But what I want you to see here is Isaac loved Esau for something that Jacob could never be. Isaac loved Esau for something that his other son could never be. And so in some ways, he pushes Jacob away. In some ways, he has this wound in his life now that he is not the favorite son, that he is not loved by his father, that he can't be what Esau is, that he has to live under his own label, his own name. 
And so Jacob is now having this identity crisis. He's stuck with the label that you'll always chase the shadow of somebody else. You'll always be the heel grasp, but you won't measure up. And now his father is rejecting him. He's riddled with insecurity of never measuring up. It's a label that affects his life. It's a label that's been placed on him. And I wonder how many of us today, how many people chase the affection and the person that chases, chase the, the affection and the approval of others with all that's within them because of the wound of a father. Because of the wound of not being loved by a father or a mother or someone who was supposed to. And so we've had that label placed on us. And so we chase affection in everyone. I want you to know if you have had that in your life, it messes up oftentimes your view of God. If you've been rejected by the ones that were supposed to love you. And oftentimes if you had an absent father in your home, you'll see God as someone maybe who is there but isn't so interested in the details of your life. If you've had that wound or if you had an abusive or manipulative father, then maybe you see God in the same way that maybe, okay, he's, he's there, but he's just waiting to judge or to punish for things that we've done wrong. Or maybe he's going to be happy one day and mad the next because you never really know where he's going to land. These things have a way of affecting our view of God, of affecting our view of spirituality, and it messes with our identity. What happens when we don't have this confidence and this foundation is then labels begin to impact our personality. So they impact our identity, but then they begin to impact our personality. And so Jacob doesn't know who he is. He has no confidence in this relationship with his father. He's got no true identity as a man. And so I want you to see this. He falls into the default pattern of the family. This is why I want to study the generations before. Can I tell you, if you're wondering why you struggle with things, because everybody struggles, all right? I don't know one perfect person in this church or outside of it. All of us struggle with things. If you're wondering why those things maybe have a stronghold in your life, I would submit to you, look no further than the generations ahead of you. Because just in the same way that God wants to bless families through generations, the devil wants to bring a curse through a bloodline. There are generational curses that get passed from family to family. And oftentimes you'll see this because everybody struggles with things. But sometimes you'll see and oftentimes strongholds in different families that some suffer from sexual sins or some from love of possessions or the love of money or other families that struggle with alcoholism, other things that are passed down from generation to generation. And if you look at those curses that pass through, the same thing is true with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everybody's got their issues, but they're so often generational. And so we see this in the story. Jacob really didn't have any identity. He doesn't have the foundation in his father. And so his desire to be loved and accepted, he falls into a family sin. And so we go all the way back to his grandfather, Abraham, Genesis chapter 20. If you want to turn there, we'll have it on the screen. Now, Abraham, who's a great man of God, but he struggled like all of us do. Abraham moves to this specific place into the Jeb, and he lives between Kadesh and Shur. That's important in just a moment. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. So all the men of Gerar come to Abraham, and the king of Gerar, Abimelech, comes to him and is like, hey, that's a really pretty woman that's traveling with you, and so I'd like to make her my wife. And so Abraham decides, hey, she's my sister. Just go ahead and take her, right? Like a bunch of chickens back. So anyways, Abraham says... So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. That means that he married her. He almost had sex with her until a dream of God comes to him and says, this is a married woman. And so Abimelech goes back to Abraham. And he's like, what's up with that, bro? Like, that's, I'm not trying to get in all this trouble here. I'm not trying to commit adultery. Like, what's, what's wrong with you? And so Abraham answers him and he's like, well, technically she is my sister. Like, that somehow made it better, right? That's just, somehow that's just, and he said, same, same father, different mothers. That's not the point. And so he says to her, she actually technically kind of is. And I was afraid that all of the men here would kill me and take her. And so that's why I told you that she's my sister. 
bunch of chickens, right? Everybody, just a bunch of liars. Well, that Abraham didn't stop that in his generation. Watch this. His son Isaac now moves to the same place. And watch this in Genesis chapter 26. So we've seen Abraham the coward. Now we've got Isaac in chapter 26. Same place. When the men of that place asked Isaac about his wife. It just feels like it's just a repeat, an echo, right? He said, she is my sister. Took one right out of dad's playbook. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca. Because she is beautiful. And so we see here, we have this family of manipulative, lying, cowardly, and somehow incredibly successful men. I don't understand how they do. They are marrying all these beautiful women, and yet they are too, don't have the guts to say, get your hands off her, that's my wife. And so they have this in this, is Abraham, now Isaac. And so we watch this lying and manipulative chickens pass this on in their generation. Pass this on. So when Jacob now comes to his full straight, he becomes, uh, he becomes a man. Jacob falls into the same sin of his father and his grandfather before him. That he has this, this generation, this manipulation and this lying. And so Isaac filters this down now to Jacob's life. And I want you to see why. Because when you don't have an identity, you will fabricate your personality for the sake of popularity. When you don't have who you're supposed to be, you will make up and manipulate who you are. In order for popularity. Now Abraham and Isaac did it because in order to stay alive. That's their popularity. Just to save their own skin. They're just like, yeah, take it. Keep me alive. And Jacob does it in order to get the affection and the blessing of his father. But too many times in our own lives when this label settles on us. Too many times when we don't have an identity. We will fabricate and manipulate our personality for the sake of popularity. His father did it. His grandfather did it. Now he has no identity. He has no idea who he's supposed to be. Has no idea what he's supposed to do. He's starving for his father's affection. He's longing for somebody to tell him it's okay to validate him. And his mother knew it. She knew that's what was going on in his life. So here's Isaac now. He's growing older in age. And typically what would happen is when the patriarch would be about to die, he would bless the older son. So Isaac would put his hands on Esau. He was supposed to bless him. And they were supposed to give over the control of the family, kind of transfer everything over to the older son. And Rebecca overheard when Isaac called Esau and was like, come here. Harry, right? Come, come here. I want to put my hands on you. You know, I love that wild game, right? So he says, your brother, no, go back to uh, Genesis chapter 27. He, he lays his hands on him. He's like, come here. You know, I love that wild game. You know, I love that, you know, when you go out and shoot things. So bring me a meal. Go ahead and bring me one of those things that I love. And I'm going to bless you. Go ahead and bring me those, the meal that I love before I die. And he's blind by this point, And Rebecca knew it. Rebecca knows it. And so Esau goes into the field and Rebecca grabs little Jacob and she's like, I know you've been starving for your father's affection and his blessing your whole life. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do I'm going to cook the food and you're going to dress yourself up like your brother, right? You're going to put on, and she, she tells him all, you're going to put on Esau's clothes. You're going to put goat hair on your arms. And you're like, how hairy was Esau, everybody? Like, I just, I just keep coming in this story. I keep coming back to that. Like, take the hairiest person you know and times it by a hundred. This dude had issues, all right? And so she's like, put on Esau's clothes, put goat hair on your, on your arms and your leg, put it all on your neck and make your dad believe that you're Esau and you'll get the blessing. And Jacob is so starved for affection that he does it. He's so starved for the blessing that he does what she says. He takes the food in and Isaac is like, man, there you sound like Jacob. You don't sound like you don't sound like the grizzly Adam's son. The voice is he's blind, but he's like, the voice isn't right. You sound like Jacob, the tent hanger outer. You just sound you don't sound like my, my grizzly Adam's son. And then he smells his clothes and he's like, yeah, that might be, that might be Esau. That sounds bad. Then he says, intentionally, he feels his arms and he's like, yeah, just like a goat. That's my boy. That's my, 
That's Esau. That's got to be him. And so Isaac blesses the wrong son. And he gives him the blessing. And about that time, Esau arrives back and he comes to his father, Isaac, in his tent. And Isaac says to him, watch this, in the verse before this one. Verse before, Isaac said to him, he said, your brother came and deceived me and he took away your blessing. He came and he deceived me, he manipulated. He did, he lied about who he was and he took away your blessing. And watch Esau's response. He says, isn't that why we gave him the label? Isn't that why we call him Jacob? Isn't that why he's named? He's cheated me twice already. He took my rights as the firstborn and now he's taken my blessing. I can't handle the fact this guy is stealing things from me. He's taken my identity. He's taken my thing because he's got no identity of his own. He keeps taking things from me throughout my life. He's like, isn't that why we called him heel grasper? Isn't that why he's called supplanter? He's willing to become somebody that he's not to deceive everybody. To take what he wants. Because he doesn't know who he's supposed to be. I wonder how many of us are in that wrestling match today. That we're in that tension. Because labels have a way of creating false identity. And we will manipulate our personality to become something that we're not. Because we're starved for the affection of others. We need that affirmation in our life in every environment. And so of our social media posts where we're actually honest with everybody, doesn't get enough likes or follows, we will take it down and create one that they do like. And we'll make up stuff and we'll stage the photo and we'll do whatever we have to do in order to get the follows and the likes as we are so starved for the affirmation and affection of others. We have no idea who our actual identity is. And I wonder how many of us in church, just like Jacob, are willing to put on a face that's not ours. To put on a facade, to pretend to be somebody that we're not in order to get the affection and the blessing of others. Or to get something not. Because at the core of who we are, we don't know who we are. And even if we were really willing to accept it, we don't think anybody else would. We don't think anybody else would want. So we'll put on the facade. We'll put the show. We'll come to church. We'll go to small group. We'll post on social media or Facebook or Instagram. We'll put, we'll put all these things out there in this facade. Hoping that whoever we pretend to be will be liked by others. Can be affirmed. When in reality, we're pretending to be somebody that we're not. And I want you to know it's only hurting you. When you pretend to be somebody that you're not, when you go into every circle and every, every place of influence trying to get affirmation for this fake you, I promise you it is only hurting you. In fact, jot this principle down. If you're taking notes today. God wants to bless you, but God will not bless who we pretend to be. He won't, pretend, he won't bless the fake you. If you're living your life in an identity crisis, you're living your life always trying to get the affirmation of others, pretending to be somebody that you're not, God can't bless the fake personality we try to put out. And we try to get others to say, we're just living for one more like, one more affirmation, one more person to let us know that we're okay. And I'm telling you, you are living a lie and you'll never have God's best for your life. Never step into what he has for you. It's a label the devil has put on you to keep you from the potential God has. And honestly, I believe today's the time to break that label off of your life. Jacob spends his whole life in this pattern of manipulation, cheating others because he's always trying to measure up. He's a heel grabber. He's a grasper, a supplanter. To one day, the Lord says, Jacob, it's time. You're a son of the promise. One day, God finally gets in his life. It's like, it's, you're the son of the... It's not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's time to step into what God has for your life. It's time to be a son of the promise. We have to settle some things in your life first. And so God finds him. And now we see Jacob heading back to the land of the promise. Because there's some things God has to deal with in his life first. And so Jacob, he begins this, this travel home. Back to the land of the promise. He begins this time to go and face Esau. He's finally going to face his past. He's going to do this. And so there's a principle here. And this, is, this one is just something I want to give you free today. But that is you can't step into your future without settling your past. We see this in Jacob's life. That he's headed back now to confront Esau. 
That you can't pretend like it wasn't there, pretend like you didn't did it. All things are made new in Christ. But there has to be a moment that you let that thing come to the surface. You're actually honest with yourself where God has a chance to heal those things in the past. Because if we hide them away, we never show them to God. We never let him touch us and heal them. Those things will always be hanging around trying to supplant the purpose and the promise God has for you. So we've got to deal with some of those things. And so Jacob, with all his family, all his possessions, he's headed back now. He's moved away from Esau because he was running for his life. But now he's going back. He's going to find forgiveness. He's going to face Esau. He's going to live in the land of the promise. And they come to a riverbed and he sends all of his family all across, all his possessions across the river. And he stays on this side. And that night, a man comes to him. It's God, we find out in just a moment. He finds out a man who's left alone wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And watch this. The man said, let me go for it's daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. See what happened to Jacob's life is he finally gets to the end of all the manipulation, all of the lies. He's finally coming back to try to make things right. He's come to the end of all the cheating and all the changing of his personality. He's come to the end of all of that. And what he finds is God. What he finds in that night when he sends everything across the river, when he's finally come back to face his past, when he's finally not letting the label settle on him, he's finally come to the end of all his manipulations, what he finds is God. And the first thing we have to do, if we're going to break the labels off of our lives, is you've got to grab a hold of Jesus. If you're going to have that label that was placed on you, that thing that people put on you and said, this is who you are, if you're going to have that, you're going to have to grab a hold of Jesus. If you're going to break that off of your life, we have to grab a hold of him. Because for the first time in Jacob's life, he is now... He's now all the passion, with the passion that he pursued the affirmation of others, the affection of others, with all the strength that he went after that fake applause and the fake affirmation and blessing of others, with all of the strength he went for that, he is now pursuing the blessing of God. He tried to lie and cheat and do his way through with everybody else in his service, but now he's finally come to the end of all of that, and he's pursuing with that same passion the blessing of God. And I want you to know that's where we find our confidence. That's where we find the confidence that we live our lives out of. That if you grew up in a fatherless or a motherless home, or you put on this fake persona all of your life to try to live up to the affirmation of others, of those things, I promise you that God can still turn what was meant for evil for the good, that you still have a confidence and a personality and an identity that's rooted in Christ, not in any other person. That if you might have been affected or you might have been abused or you might have been rejected by anybody else in your life, you can find a confidence and a security knowing you are honored in Christ Jesus, that you are loved. That he can turn those things for the good, that God has an identity and a personality and a purpose for your life that you find only in him. That he can turn those in for somebody. You got a day, and that's why Colossians chapter 3 says this. It says, for you died. You died to all of those things. You died for the need to find affirmation from anybody else around you. You died for the need to find it in the environments that you find yourself in. You died for the need to find it in the people that surround you. You died to all of that. Why? Because your life is now hidden in Christ. That you find your confidence that you live from in Christ Jesus. That that's where we draw our identity from. That's where we can live our lives from. I'm not living for the next like or the next follow. You're not living for the next affirmation from people you're chasing after that will let you down anyway. We are living for the affirmation of what God has to say about us. That we are children of the promise. That he loves us. Because we find our life in Christ grounded in him. And so he asks Jacob this question in verse 27. Watch this. He asks him the question, what is your name? What's your name? Jacob, he answered. First time in his life, Jacob is honest. 
First time in his life, Jacob, Jacob, no lies, no manipulation, no, who does he want me to be? What should I be in this environment? What do I need to do? First time in his life, Jacob, he says, that's my name. Jacob is my name. That's the label I'm in. No more lies, no more hiding in the shadows, no more trying to be somebody else. Second thing, jot it down if you're taking notes. You're going to have to be honest with yourself. We're going to grab a hold of Jesus, but for the first time, maybe in some of your lives, you're going to have to be honest with yourself. Get to the moment where you're face-to-face with who you really are. And I want you to know God's not going to be surprised. He knows who you are. I think sometimes we try to hide that thing back, that thing in the back compartment. We try to keep that away. Like somehow we are behind us. I don't know if you've ever had your children try to hide something from you behind, behind me. It's probably the funniest thing that can happen. You've got to keep a straight face because you are the parent, right? And you have to mete out some discipline there time to time. But if you've ever seen that, it is a ridiculous spectacle. When you try to hide something, listen to me. He already knows who you are. He already knows your shortcomings. He already knows who you are. When you're honest about it, it's not some big surprise from God. He knows who you are. And better yet, he still loves you, everybody. I don't know if you realize that. He still loves you and he still wants you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows your shortcomings and your weaknesses and he loves you. I would submit to you that his love means even more in those moments of your shortcomings and your weaknesses. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to be a spiritual doctor to the healthy. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. I came for the sick. Paul said, I don't have everything together in my life, but I do know this, that when I am weakest is when Christ's power is shown the strongest in my life. I would submit to you that the love of God is shown the strongest where you are the weakest. That you don't have to be ashamed because of your shortcomings or your weaknesses. You just need to bring them to Jesus because his power is shown stronger in your life because of it. That he loves you. That he already knows who you are. And you might be thinking, well, that's fine. That's okay. God might accept me, but you don't understand what would happen to me around here. You don't know what people would say about me if I was finally honest. If I finally, you know, was honest with who I actually am. You don't know what they would say. I want you to know one of the greatest, honestly, I think one of the greatest testimonies of victory is this is a place intentionally created for you to understand that it's okay to not be okay. That the church is a spiritual hospital. That some of us have just been here a little longer than others, but we're all trying to get healthy really fast. But we all need to be checked into a spiritual hospital. Come on, somebody. We all need to have Jesus in our lives. We all need to have that touch. We all have shortcomings. We all struggle. And far be it from us to judge somebody else because they struggle differently than we do. We all are struggling. We all need Jesus in our life. None of us have it figured out on our own. Anybody trying to do it? It's about as ridiculous a spectacle as trying to hide things from God as trying to say you have it all together without him. So oftentimes we push people away, but this is a place to know that we can come with our weaknesses, we can come with our shortcomings, and we can go to the feet of Jesus where we can find redemption and rest for our souls. That he loves us. That he loves us. Can I tell you how much healing in life has come? Because we're willing to be honest. We're willing to be honest, to face who we are, to say, this is my shortcoming, these are my weaknesses. How much healing has happened? And if you haven't experienced it yet, it might be because you're holding some things back. You're turning a blind eye to it. Even when you're around God's people, even when you're in your small group, you're not letting those things out. Could you say they'd never accept me? Listen to me. We already know, everybody. We already see that thing. We already know that you're messed up. We're messed up. We already know. We see through that perfectly staged photo with the perfect caption. We already see the problem behind it. We know. Like, we come to church like, yeah, we're fine. We know you're fighting in the car all the way to church. Come on, somebody. We know, you're, we know you cussed out our kid check-in system. We already know. We just know. <laughs> We see through it. We know. You have to hide anything. You find healing when you're honest with yourself, when you're honest with others, when you're honest with God. We got to be honest. 
Verse 28, look what happens when we're honest. The Lord said to him, you'll no longer be Jacob. You no longer have that, that label. You no longer have, I'm going to call you Israel, which means God has overcome. Which means God has overcome. God delivers because you've struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome more than an hum- overcomer. So the third thing, if we're going to break the label off, number three, you're going to have to let God change your label. You have to let God do the work, change your label. Because I promise you, you try to do it on your own, under your own strength. You try to, you can fight and strive and try all your life. It will never happen. You'll never break that thing off. You'll never be able to escape it. I promise you cannot be good enough to break that thing off of your life. It has to be God that changes the label on you. And I know all of us have them that maybe a parent or a coach, somebody gave it to you in your life, something that you thought, I'll always be stuck with this. I'll always be that. I'll always be discounted out. I'll always be named that. If you let God touch you, you let God bring off your labor, he changes his name, changes Jacob's name. He said, you'll be Israel. And watch this in Isaiah 62. It's a prophecy about God's people. He said, you'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. Let me let you know that we salvation. When God calls you, when God breaks the label off of your life and gives you a new name, that's the only name that matters. What God has to say about you is the only thing that matters. I don't care what everybody in your life tried to say. I don't care what corner they tried to push you in. I don't care what box they tried to box you in with, what label they tried to put on you that would try to determine your destiny. What God has to say about you is what matters. He said, you'll have a new name that the Lord himself, and I want you to hear today, when you give your life to Christ, when you open yourself up to the power of God to break the label off of your life, We're going to be more than conquerors to conquer the labels in your life. When you come to a place of honesty, God doesn't look at you and judge you and punish you and reject you. No, God looks at you and he says that you are forgiven and you are set free. That you are redeemed, that you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath, that you are his child. That God says that you are free. That God says that you are redeemed. That God says that you are faithful. That God says that you are pure. That God says that you are his That's what matters in this life, what God has to say about you. God calls you his child. You are a son and a daughter of the high king. That you are loved. That you are wanted. If we're going to break the label off of our life, we have to have the label and the name that God would give to us. That God loves us. And I promise you, if you do that, when that happens, your life will shift and you'll begin to live from the approval of God, not for the approval of man. When you begin to make that shift in your life, when you realize God has broken the labels off of your life, when you realize you are free of anything other people try to put on you, that you have stepped into a new life in him, that he has called you loved, he has called you his child, you will begin to live your life from his approval. The actions and the mistake and the things that you make, the things that you do, you will understand that they don't discount you. They just mean that we need to run to him faster than we ever have. And we'll live our lives from his approval. Instead of trying always to seek the affirmation, always trying to find others who would love us, others who would affirm us. We don't live for that anymore. We live from the approval of our father. You'll break the label off of your life. You'll reach the potential that God has for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I just want to pray before we go that God would begin to break some labels off of lives. If that's you. You say, I was labeled this when I was younger. I was labeled this when I was older. I was labeled this by that group. I was labeled this by my family. I was called this by others. I want you to know that today God can break the label off of your life, that he has a new name for you, that he loves you, that he is a father to the fatherless, that he can be for you what nobody else was able to do. 
that he loves you and that he wants you. And so I just want to pray a prayer of freedom to break those labels off today in the name of Jesus. Before we pray that prayer, I want to talk to a group of people that maybe you're here today and you're far from God. Maybe you showed up today and you don't know why you're in the room or you don't know why you're watching online, but you find yourself, you're far from him. And you say, maybe you've been labeled all your life as something. All your life you've been called something. All your life you've suffered under the chain of that thing, feeling like you could never be anything different. And you've tried under your own power to break it off. You've tried time and time again to be something different, to do something different. But you always come back to that same level. I promise you, you cannot do it under your own strength. If you find yourself there, you know. You know how tiring it is. You know how exhausting it is. And you know how futile it is. But what I can promise you, you can't do it on your own, but I promise you that I know the one who can. I would love to introduce you to the God who can break that label off of your life, the God who's been waiting all of this time, the God who promises that when you turn, the moment you turn to him, he's there to rescue you. So that's you today. No one else is looking around, but if that's you today, and you say, Ben, I want to be free. I want to give my life to him. I want to be saved. If that's you, if you say that, I want to pray with you. It'd be my honor. I'm not in this to embarrass you. I'm not looking to call you out in front of everybody. There are times to go public with your faith. I would love to baptize you next week. But right now is a decision you have to make in your life between you and Jesus. Nobody else can make that decision for you. But if you say, I'm tired of running, I'm tired of living under the bondage of the label, I'm tired of being something that I'm not, I'm tired of putting forward the facade, I'm tired of it all. If you say, that's me, I want to come clean, I want to be honest with God for the first time. Be my honor to pray with you. It's a simple prayer, but you have to pray it and you have to mean it yourself. And the church, we're going to pray it with you right now, church. Let's say these words, nobody prays alone. But if you say, that's my decision, say these words, say, Jesus forgive me of all my sin, of all my mistakes. Say, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And now say this, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, God, I thank you for every person here, Lord. I thank you for the potential that you have placed in their lives. God, that we don't have to live under the label that somebody else places on us. God, we don't have to live under the bondage or the chain of a name that was given to us. Lord, we can live under the affection and the affirmation of our Father in heaven. Lord, I thank you for those, God, that have come who are struggling, Lord, in this Christian journey, carrying the labels of the past. I thank you, God, that we can start to be truly honest before you. I thank you, Lord, that today you can begin to break off the bondage of those labels. And so, Lord, right now we pray in the name of Jesus that you begin to break. Break the name, break the label, break those things that have been placed on us, God. Break the chains. We thank you right now, God, that we declare in the name of Jesus that they are free. That it'll no longer hold them back from the potential that you have spoken about them. That we would live from the affirmation of our God, not for the affirmation of other people. That we would live with a quiet confidence because we know who our Savior is. We know what he has said about us. And we know that he has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And we thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, we'll give you the glory and the honor. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?